Hi, I'm Wesley. And I'm Robin. And this is Obstructed View. Today we will be discussing Company 14's latest evening of theater, Seven Sins, opening March 5th at the Theater 14 in Brooklyn, and running through October 31st. Seven Sins is a Baroque burlesque reimagining of the creation myth of Adam, Eve, and the fall of man. Production team includes Zane Filstrom, costumes and scenic design, Jeanette Yu, lighting design, original music by Lex, Sarah Chimino on makeup design, with Christina Vnook as our production stage manager, and Cocktails by Austin McCormick. The cast features Chemion Barber, Danielle Gordon, Amy Jo Jackson, Nicholas Caden, Brittany LeMay, Lex, Lillen, Troy Lingelbach, Nolan McHugh, Demi Revnik, Marcy Richardson, Scott Schneider, Emily Stockwell, Chanel Stone, Hannah Straney, Sam Erdong, and Marcos Antonio Vazquez. Seven Sins is an evening of theater featuring dance, burlesque, and stunt work broken into three acts. Act one being the creation of Adam, the creation of Eve, and the fall of man. Act two being the introduction of vanity, wrath, lust, and jealousy, with act three being the introduction of sloth, greed, and gluttony, followed by a finale with a pas de deux by Adam and Eve, and a final number. All right, so do you want to hop in and talk about tech a bit? Sure. So this was our first time in Company 14's new space. Their previous works that we've seen were all at the Mineta Lane Theater or their previous space before mm-hmm. that. Across in the public theater near the Blue Man Group. Last year they moved to this space which let Austin McCormick completely... Move in. ...in complete auteur control of the venue and the layout to create a true cabaret. Mm-hmm. We were unable to catch their shows last year as Wesley was abroad. Yeah, it I mean, never really stopped him in the past. A uh, big distinction, I think, made here is it's a little bit... Uh, well, the Manette Lane Theater is not small. This is a rather large space, uh, which is nice. I think the biggest distinction to make here between the two spaces is... Uh, I'm not sure if they didn't do this before due to union reasons but here the dancers and the company members were also your ushers they were also the bartenders they were also working the space with the crowd from the start that didn't really happen before they actually had people you know working for the theater themselves and also there was a bar inside the space so when you enter the space there is a coat check to your right with the restrooms there and a bar to your left. If you go through that bar into the theater proper, the seating is high back chairs, I believe, a a few rows of them behind a row of couches, uh, seated behind a row of three tables for the bourgeois, (laughs) with an alleyway between them and another three or four rows of chairs for closer seating to the stage. I loved this space. It felt like a cabaret. The seats were comfortable. They were well-spaced. You could... Half of the show for me was watching the people who paid to sit at the big tables Mm -hmm. and get their lobster and get their cocktails. Right. I think that the use of space was very strong. I think that if you get in your mind's eye what a Brooklyn burlesque space should look like, you know, a little industrial, but at the same time very glamorous... This was it. He didn't overdo it with the smoke, which I liked. Yes. Uh, I wasn't going, where is everybody? Um, 
which was a little bit the case previously. This was a uh, he had a very strong sense of also giving people what they anticipated with what they're paying. Austin had fully curated the evening. Every aspect of that evening was well thought out and designed from the seating to the lighting to the cocktails to the meal. It was all the meal that we did not have. It was all laid out. It was it was all designed right and to give the experience that he wanted. Right. And and the quality this this isn't generic quality bargain bin. There this was actual proper champagne as well, Montpellier. You know, we had, uh, looking at the lobster, looking at the Amaro, looking at the absinthe. I am familiar with these producers, and the cocktail list looks solid. It was clearly a, a sense that this isn't supposed to be just a culinary evening of dance. The entire thing was supposed to be well-formed and thought through to give you the maximum bang for your buck. Agreed. Moving into the actual technical elements of the show, not much has changed from the set design. I still liked it. It serves its purpose very well. Zane Filstrom's industrial false proscenium arch that he's created works great. The curtain is gorgeous. The fun cabaret burlesque flat they painted at some point used between acts. Great. It was just not new. Right. Something that I missed a lot was in the Manila Lane Theater... Uh, because it was a much higher space, every once in a while, so you would see something, your eye would shoot up. Here, it was very concentrated. You know, you have the runway working it down to the uh, to the stage space, and you can see everything happening in that space, which normally in a theater is a huge plus. You know, the sight lines were impeccable. I don't care where you're seated, you will see everything. There but, was, for me, some proximity issues yeah. with some of the dance that while incredibly impressive, felt dangerous to the point that it made the audience uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember last time about Oklahoma, we were talking about pain and music and all that. And I'm okay with a little bit of you know pain and music, if that's your point. I shouldn't be wondering if the glass I'm holding is going to shatter at some point in time. There's a difference between pain and maybe getting hurt. It's the difference between music being too loud and having to cover my ears and almost getting kicked in the face during showtime on an L train. Right, exactly. I do think that these were, we should not have been concerned, concerned about it, but it also shouldn't be something shooting through my mind while you're doing it. Like, should I duck and cover from time to time? But no, I mean, these are top of their class artists performing. It's like a Cirque du Soleil. And I don't think it, I would even have pointed it out, except for the fact that at a couple of moments, granted we did see the show during previews, mm -hmm. That a couple of the performers seemed a little uncomfortable with what they were doing. Not unskilled, not unable, not lacking, just the work showed on their face. Right. There, there wasn't a sense of, we got this. There was a sense of, all right, we all good here? Look out. Running uh, through that mental checklist of making sure you're yeah. not kicking an audience member in the face. Right. But that that was really one specific scene. I do think they navigated it. They stuck the landing pretty well on that. Otherwise, most of the action was either going down that center aisle very calmly or on the stage proper. Yes. Um. So... Lighting? Yeah, lighting. It was, you know, kind of what we come to expect from Company 14. A lot of that glaring white, a lot of somber tones, a lot of 
sharp contrasts, silhouettes as far as the eye can see. I'm not sure if there was anything that really... Because previously there's been a couple of key moments where I'm going to go, oh, that was a strong point of line design, or that was a strong point of line design. Not sure if I really had that here. I think he might be getting into the space still. The moments we saw that I loved, we have seen before from him. So the Adam and Eve pas de deux with the light focus, the one spotlight on stage that was used, we'd seen before. It still works. It's gorgeous, which is why he reused it. But it wasn't innovative, which is something I was hoping from him. Yeah. Now, compared to previous shows, I did love the costumes in this production. Before, I had felt that there was a a lean too heavy into this BDSM black leather world, whereas in this production, I felt the costumes were more much lighter, brighter, still naughty, still kinky, still fun and flirty, still leaning into that world, but not so far, and it didn't cross over the line into being what I would consider almost vulgar. Right, there was a refinement to the kind of ostentatiousness of it, you know, the kind of Venetian aesthetic, and also into the abstract with Adam and Eve coming on in those sheer garments with their genitals. Their their afterbirth suits. Yeah, with their genitals uh, marked out on them in what looks like gaff tape. That's what I've come to expect from them. I thought that was a very interesting, you can, again, I look for things, I could put that in Lincoln Center, now I think myself, you are making an interesting tape statement around this art form. I don't just need the context of burlesque. I don't need the context. You're doing Adam and Eve, and this is how you decide to navigate it. Absolutely, and to pair that with something like the gluttony scene, where the singer is wearing a gown that is also the serving table, and people are taking food off of it. was just fun. Yeah. No, the costuming, I think, is what I've come from. That, that was one place where I was like, you're still upping the ante here. And also the, how they innovate the idea of Adam and Eve noticing their nakedness and getting more and more clothed throughout the course of the production. That was very smartly done as well. It was a great narrative through line to the piece. Yeah. And helped show how vanity affects man, how gluttony affects man. Mm-hmm. I also, I don't know where this falls, but the, the opening with the serpent, I loved. I thought it was a really fun Proppy kind of thing. They had the the serpent slither, a puppet snake slither through the audience. The snake was fifty feet long. It was like a conga line, and it was it was just fun. Yeah, no, it, and it's things like that because there's always a danger with these productions that they're going to become so whimsical that they become self-important. So every time they fall into that vaudeville improv feel is really helpful. Yeah, um, the balance in this production, I thought, was probably some of the best... I agree, yeah. ...in that regard. Because sometimes it can feel, again, a little bit prestigy, a little bit precious, a little bit like Las Vegas Cirque du Soleil, and every once in a while it's nice to remind us the heritage here is still old-timey slapstick vaudeville, and that does not diminish the skill of the performers or the choreographer. Again, Sarah Chimino's makeup, excellent. It worked in the piece. Adam felt almost like an 80s android, like I was watching Blade Runner, and set him apart from the rest of the world, which I thought was a great choice and a very easy, subtle fix to differentiating between the sins and man. Yeah, uh, as always, she does a great job creating the atmosphere, 
creating a sense of otherworldliness, creating a sense of opulence in characters. Yeah, they, they always find that fine line between being too gregarious, being too, um, well, gluttonous, and falling into also being refined, being cultivated. The one technical element I found a little lacking in this production was the music selection. There was a usage of a number of original songs by Lex, which most of them were good. The songs selected for certain numbers I found very hit or miss. When they hit, they were absolute perfection, but some of them just felt a little off for me. Right. What made certain other productions of his very special to me is they'll do songs in Russian, in Spanish, and French. This was pretty consistently in English, mm -hmm. and it felt like stuff that a lot of people would recognize. So instead of being feeling like I was at the Kit Kat Club singing International Cabaret, it felt like a bit more the movie Moulin Rouge, where here's a song that you know in a different way with a really cool thing attached to it. The evening felt a slight bit more populist and perhaps even more into the gay scene, for better or for worse. Obviously, that is a uh, sales point that is hard to argue with when you are running your own space. Right. No, I, I think a lot of people love that. And there are moments that I was into it. I think uh, Nancy Sinatra, Baby Shot Me Down remix. Was a gorgeous moment. Great. Um, I even enjoy the Florence and the Machine that followed it. It's just, there was a sense of, to put things with a foreign language, to create a sense of an international community, and to seduce with that international community, really helped give a sense of the cultivation of... Yeah, so something for me was lost. So do you want to take the cast next, or do you want to step through the plot? I think we'll hit most of the cast who just step through the plot. So it starts with the reveal of the devil, Amy Joan Jackson. We always have this uh, fabulous sort of guide into the world of decadence. I mean, that tends to be how he works with these. Uh, you have your innocent, uh, that's your audience stand-in, your MC, and then your world of delights. I thought Amy Joan Jackson did a fantastic job as our narrator, vaudeville circus leader... Virgil. She, her voice was extraordinary. Um, then goes to the creation of Adam. One thing I will say about Austin McCormick is his casting eye and his ability to gather the literal best talent in all of New York is extraordinary. Oh yeah, it's amazing. You you watch this and it's one of those situations where I feel as though that somebody, one of these people gets to say, I've worked with Austin McCormick, Company 14. That is a statement of quality of your skill as a performer. There are going to be points where we are point out what we believe are weaker points of the production, things we found lacking, but in comparison to the rest of what is happening in this city... 90% yeah, of the rest of the theater in New York does not compare. So it's really fine-picking yeah, these th moments. This is us trying to figure out if, if something was lost for us on repetition... What is it that we are missing? So then it goes to Adam's creation. Adam is performed by Scott Schneider. This is where I first started to get a little bit concerned because it was one place where it's very whimsical, very ethereal, which, fair, it's the creation of man. Uh, but I was like, we're doing this with the Bible? What's happening? And then it goes into Adam's rib, 
which was a super vaudeville moment and completely broke with that mood and it was, I was this awed. gorgeous shift from this almost european sanctimonious dance number into a slapstick fake magic trick where they cut adam in half and pull out his rib so kitschy i loved it it was fun it's just fun i i that's when i was like great this is what i come to these people for you know give up give me the best of new york and have them do cruddy vaudeville that is fun for me and then we have uh, the introduction of Eve, performed by Danielle Gordon. And Danielle Gordon is a star. She is gorgeous. She's an absolute... Her, she is an absolute mechanic. She is... Uh, her stage presence, her quality of movement, her ability to go from zero to a springboard in no time at all, truly... She's absolutely magnetic. You can tell from the moment she gets on the stage, she holds your attention. And I am so happy I saw her in this, and I cannot wait to see her in more work. Agreed. She was fantastic. Uh, her more vibrant energy really balanced off of Adam's more kind of demure um, flower child energy. Sure. Which I liked that dynamic a lot, especially by the end. Yeah, she, she was remarkable. She, and sometimes, especially when the choreography kind of went into a so you think you can dance sort of commercial dance quality, her sense of presence and dramatic worth in these moments really heightened the experience. Yep. Uh, then came the eating of the apple, the fall from grace. But really, I think the standout moment of the end of Act 1 was the vaudeville again almost slapsticky fig leaf yeah uh the adam and eve have realized that they're naked and they're fighting over fig leaves to cover themselves and it's it's funny but it's more of an aesthetic of funny which normally bothers me but i just loved it here it's something you, you don't really expect to see when you do an adam and eve thing especially one that is as clearly cultivated as this one to then go, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do a four to five minute long slapstick, you know, vaudeville routine where you two try to cover up your naked bodies and you're gonna have a long penis on a jockstrap that you'll be wearing. Which then later is replaced by a, what I can only call a rhinestone encrusted strap-on yes. later in the production, which is, I love. Yeah, no, they, it was a fantastic mix of highbrow, lowbrow. Yeah, they, they lean in. They have an idea, they lean into it. Then for the rest of the show, we have the seven sins broken into the two acts. Some of the sins I absolutely loved, the portrayals they used, some of them for me felt a little flat. By far my favorite was the rap tap slash flamenco numbers, where they cleared the tables and she started with a slow flamenco down the aisle, got to the stage was a gorgeous Spanish raffle woman mm -hmm. all to my baby shot me down switching into that um kiss with a fist Florence the machine which she performed on the tables of the diners it was just fun it was it was energetic it was fun it was controlled they knew what they were doing she was magnetic who was performing that again that was Demi Remick 
with Lex. All right. So Demi Lemek, Lemek, she knows what she's doing with these with these roles. That was actually I would say that's one place where the line design I think really functioned well was when they 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 kind of do this one two punch with the sins where they kind of have an introduction and then they kind of go at it and so between that there are a few summer moments with the line design that really functioned well. I love I, that might have been my favorite as well. Uh, I'm trying to think other ones I liked. Um, Vanity reminded me of Vanity. Well, Vanity was cool because of the entrance with the peacocks. Um, it and, was stunning. Yeah. I would say Gluttony was great. Gluttony was great because so, I didn't expect it to be great. I would say that my top three were Wrath, Jealousy, and Gluttony. I enjoyed Greed. Again, the sheer stunt of watching Marcy Richardson sing opera upside down, suspended from a suspension stripper's pole is incredible and so impressive and watching herself bend and contort around the pole while being suspended while singing opera is so impressive it's very impressive uh i'm not quite sure how it fits with the idea of greed was my only question it felt like an idea that they then suited to they're like well we have this great image we have this great moment uh, process of elimination. Let's put it with greed? Question mark. It felt a little off thesis. Yeah. Uh, well, a little inspired by hustlers. Right, and then because I, I would say, wrath, perfect. Hit the nail on the head, perfect. Um, then jealousy. I agree. Uh, that was, uh, very much in form. Um, gluttony was great. Gluttony was a lot of fun. The only one that missed the mark for me in sloth. Sloth again was a little off thesis. I. I liked the idea of it generally, but I wanted almost buto for it. I wanted to see, I wanted to be impressed not with the dexterity of the dancer, but with their athleticism in slowness. Well, you wanted the sin to be made of material. Yes. You wanted us to, in the same way that whenever I watch Candy Cane, there's something of peppermint to it in the Nutcracker. Watching Sloth, I was like, a bathtub I, I i guess there's something to that but at the same time i wanted it to really mesh with the idea in the same way that wrath and jealousy and gluttony did yes that being said troy lingelbach and nolan McHugh doing the jealousy oh that was incredible duet in a i don't even know what that that they did aerial stunts together uh, and it was really remarkable. I mean, truly... Directly above the audience, between two of the dining tables. Like, the thing is, the whole thing was remarkable. Uh, nobody was going to be arguing otherwise. We're just trying to figure out, for me, where are things that maybe didn't quite resonate as much as they have in the past. And the final moment... Right. Feels a little off thesis. Austin McCormick ended the piece with his pas de deux, which he loves to do. And well, it was... all. I think that all the works he's done have had the same basic structure for the ending. Mm -hmm. You have a big orgy moment with a can-can. You have a hangover moment. Gracious pas de deux. And a kind of melancholic coda. They kind of all run in that... Which I think is actually smart. I don't mind him consistently working into that world. It's just that that final pas de deux 
which again, I loved it in theory. The idea of having Adam and Eve have a elegant pas de deux together, I think that is compelling. I think that is interesting. I think the choreography was pretty solid, but that theme of supporting each other throughout this world of sin that will make you vomit confetti from time to time, that doesn't quite comport with the final coda song of... Is that all there is? is that all there, yeah, Peggy Lee, is that all there is? Which is much more shrug it off nihilistic. I mean, you go from let's make our garden grow to pour another drink. And those two things are kind of, if not antithesis of one another, they kind of are in contrast. If they had been blended a little more, if the narrative arc of the show was a little more refined for me, I think it would have been absolute perfection, but it just... And this isn't the first time we've thought this about one of his works. I remember the past going, wait, was I supposed to feel... Was Cinderella actually just dreaming the whole thing? Was that your... And so I think he likes this. I think he likes the idea of the happy world being a fiction. Uh, you know, if our shadows have a funded think of this and all is bended kind of situation but adam and eve i do think when you work with something that isn't a fairy tale but something like the fall of man and you know this concept of sin itself which again i think this is a very rich territory from the mind i would have liked to have seen like you were saying a bit more of a communication between that final coda and the cathartic pas de deux yeah that being said, I loved the show. The entire cast was great. I would say in the future, if and when we return to these, I think it'd be best if uh, you go with somebody else just because I'm curious how much diminishing returns is a part of this. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what his audience base he's trying to find. I'm not sure if he is... Because I'm more approaching this as a culinary dance rather than a glamorous evening out. And I would be interested to bring more people in who are looking for that event evening theater. Absolutely. I do think he has a lot to offer the world of choreography in general. But if this is going to be his New York City ballet, I would be interested to see him take up new territories in new ways. Sure. But if the audience is paying X amount of dollars, it's hard to... So, sort of beating around the bush here is the idea that this is not an evening of theater, this is a night out. Austin has curated this to be an experience. So it is not like you are just sitting down and buying a ticket to Oklahoma. You are entering Austin's world and his uh, thesis on... Decadence. On decadence. Opulence and glamour. And I think that... It functions. I, I, my, I think the most compelling part of the whole show for me, outside of the performance of Eve, was when I started to realize, oh shit, we're about to watch eight people who spent a lot of money get another cocktail, and there's nothing to cut this with. We're not looking elsewhere. Lights are still down, and everyone in the audience is watching while these people who spent a lot of money get given another cocktail. And I loved that. The I loved it. The cast serves them to an extent. They bring out... It is all very performative. They bring out keys to unlock portions of the table and pull out ingredients that they then mix into those drinks. Brilliant. It is intended to be seen. There is an inherent classist 
aspect to it which is enjoyable for all parties involved. Right, because we get to see the world that we did not pay for. You know, it's not secret, it's not hidden behind closed doors, and it's if we're going to live in the world of the seven sins, we might as well honor the fact that, yes, hierarchy will be based on your wealth, and these people are going to get more than you, and they're going to look in the eyes of these gorgeous performers who are going to serve them treats, and I loved it. Yeah. I love because so often, you know, people are clutching at their pearls, trying to play down the money they've spent in the theater, or looking ashamed, and this just lavishes you in it. Yes. No, that that was one place of true, more than any dance belt or pasty, that was a place of true subversion, in my view. Absolutely. So, Seven Sins is running through... Halloween, October 31, 2020, uh, again at the Theater 14, which is off of the Jefferson L stop. Tickets for this show are admittedly rather pricey. Yeah. He is selling an experience. He is selling, he knows what he's doing. They are cost prohibitive. Tickets start at $85 for basic seating and go up to VIP seats ranging between $245 to $295, which are seated at the table. You are given nibbles like the half lobster you were given, multiple cocktails. I actually don't think it's too terribly overpriced. I'm not here to tell you what money to spend. If you think that that is what, if you have a special event, if you want to show off, if you have $300 burning a hole in your pocket, there are worse ways to spend that money, I'm sure. We are two poor theater kids. We're doing a podcast right now, people. Which, we are not necessarily the clientele this show is being sold to. Right. But for that entry-level price point starting at 85 85 and I'm sure at some point you can find it on Today Ticks or there are yeah. yeah, there there are ways to get into spaces like this. I would say if you can get a ticket for around the $85 price point and you are looking for a good evening out, you know, get a cocktail, go with a friend. It is a great evening of theater. And it is, I mean, you're going to be spending at least that much on a Broadway show. And this is, this far surpasses a lot of the quality and a lot of the craftsmanship having on Broadway. Agreed. Any final thoughts? I look forward to seeing what Austin McCormick is going to do next and what the next season is going to look like for Company 14. Because I do feel as though this is becoming something of an institution. And I'd like to see what kind of fun he decides to have with it. Same. As always, you can find us and join in on the conversation at obstructed-view.com. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are Obstructed View Podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Wesley. And remember, just keep dancing. What? <laughs> just all the crazy and then... So back to our polite conversation. Um, You've worked retail. <laughs> yeah, true.